Podcasting from the land of 10,000 lakes in the city of five, this is the Green Pastures with Jesus podcast, the audio home of Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church in lovely Fairmont, Minnesota. You've found your daily home for a few minutes with Jesus, including a Monday and Thursday in-depth study podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Peter Hagen. And if this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Green Pastures with Jesus podcast is produced five days a week for your growth in God's Word, and show notes can be found at our website, www.shepherdofthelakes.net. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook. Just search for Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church of Fairmont, Minnesota. All links are in the show notes. Now, let's get to today's show. In today's Saturday bonus, we have the first in a series of three discussions led by Dr. John Brugge on the topic of Islam. Today, the introduction to Islam. You may notice that I like to feature Dr. Brugge whenever possible on this podcast. It's just incredibly amazing that we get to have a man of his expertise and any of the other men especially who are professors at our seminary, who have taught across the world, um, who have years and years of experience both practical in the field and teaching this stuff, and that we can access that teaching available for free online and share it with others that, that more people may come to benefit rather than just those who happen to have been sitting in the room. After we finish with this series of three, I think we'll have one week of a Saturday bonus on something else, and then we'll probably get into a series by Dr. Sigbert Becker on Revelation. Here we go. Dr. Brugge on Islam. We're going to spend six or maybe seven weeks on this, and the way we're going to divide it up, we had an overview of Islam last week. We're going to be talking about beliefs today. Next week, we'll be talking about practices. And then we'll be talking about, I guess you could say, the issues of terrorism, the role of women, and all those things that are so much in the news today. I think I saw at least 10 stories uh, during the past week about that, some of them involving Wisconsin, a couple of them involving Wisconsin, both as far as arrests and as far as uh, work-related issues, which will be a couple of weeks away before we get to talk about that. And also, I guess the most important thing is, like in every religion, there's different kinds of Muslims, like there's different kinds of Lutherans and different kinds of Catholics. <clears throat> and we're going to define Islam by what does the Quran and the official teachings say? Same way if I'm talking with Muslims and they say, well, Christians don't believe the Bible's true, they believe it's all myths. Well, that's true of some Christians, isn't it? who say we don't believe the Bible and we've got to redefine our religion. It just happened on TV this week. There were two Muslims on there, and one Muslim was saying, who would be like a liberal Christian, he was saying, Islam, to get into the 21st century, we have to repudiate the Quran. And the other guy was arguing, no. Well, if you're a Muslim that repudiates the Quran... Yeah, that's, that's, they still call yourself a Muslim, but we have to define Islam by what Quran and the tradition say. Same way we have to define Christianity by what does the Bible say, and that's a fair comparison. So there are nominal Muslims and there are mainline Muslims. We'll talk about the sects, the Shiites and the Sunni a little bit later. 
couple weeks down the line. There happened to be one guy on TV on that same thing. They had a poll, and they said of American Muslims, according to this poll, which the mosque did not want to follow, according to American Muslims, only 25% of them endorse violence to spread Islam. That's two and a half million people. And 51% of them, and of course you can always argue about polls, 51% of them said they support Sharia law. Now Sharia law is law that is imposed by the state. In other words, Orthodox Jews have religious law too. They can keep their religious law, can't they? But it can't be imposed by the state. Sharia law, by definition, it's not just their practices, which we'll be talking about next week, it's imposed by the state. So it's important all the way through to understand we're talking about the official Sunni Islam as it's defined by the Quran and as it's defined by their traditions. The nation of Islam, sometimes normally called black Muslims, that also is not regular Islam. That's a religion of its own and a group of its own. So the stuff we say about Islam here does not characterize nation of Islam. <clears throat> so if you have a nation of Islam center in Racine or Kenosha, that's a different thing than regular Islam, although there are increasing contacts between them. So our main purpose today is going to be talking about what are the basic teachings defined by their official documents. And we did summarize those differences a little bit. So we can begin with prayer then. We thank you, Lord, that we have the truth of the way to salvation in your word, the Holy Bible. Islam, too, believes in inspired scriptures, but very different scriptures, the Quran. Help us understand the great difference between the faith of the Bible and the practices of Islam, that we may share our faith with others. Amen. So Islam isn't as heavily doctrinal, I'd say, as Christianity. They don't have, like, the elaborate confessions and that of doctrine. Islam is more about practices, and it's next week that we'll be talking about practices. Last week, we already talked about some of the main differences. <clears throat> Islam means submission. It does not mean peace. Hebrew shalom means peace. Islam means tradition. In, in, in Arabic, like in Hebrew, you have a root like SLM, and then you make different words by changing the vowels. So Islam means the religion of submission. Muslim means one who has submitted. Muslima, that's feminine, that's a woman who has submitted. So Islam is the religion of submission. The religion with God is al-Islam, submission to his will. When you have Q's here throughout the thing, Q is Quran. That's the way it's usually spelled now. So that'd be Quran chapter 3. Later on, you'll see the chapters are generally called surah. So there's chapters and verses in the Quran, as there are also in the Bible. <laughs> what are its basic principles? One God, no associates. In other words, no Trinity, no Son, no Holy Spirit, who is God. They do believe in revelation through prophets and inspired scriptures. Later on, we talk about how to deal with Muslims. I think scripture is a good place to start because you can say, well, you believe in inspired scriptures, we believe in inspired scriptures. They're not the same ones, but you need to start out by saying, let's agree on this. We will define Christianity as what the Bible says, and we will define Islam as what the Quran says. You can say that, and that will be a fair comparison. They have a very weak view of sin. In other words, if you believe that you have to save yourself by your works, it's pretty hard to believe that every thought, word, and deed against God's will is a sin that would condemn you, isn't it? 
So you have to make a lot of things not into sins, and then you have to find a whole bunch of things you can do, don't drink alcohol and so on, and make them into good works, because you have to come out with more good works. So salvation by works, there is no savior in Islam. <clears throat> they do believe in a judgment day and heaven and hell, often called paradise, but that will be based on your works. And that, of course, leaves you uncertain in the end. So we would say the essential difference, all the others are kind of symptoms, the essential difference is there is no payment for sin in Islam, except your own works that have to balance out the good. So it's a fundamentally a religion of law, and Christianity is a fundamentally a religion of the gospel, where the law is serving the gospel. The official language, of course, is Arabic, only one God. Sometimes, occasionally, some of the radical groups have a name something like, in English it's translated the Unitarians. <laughs> And so they don't, they, it's quite very different, of course, from the liberal Unitarians that believe in kind of a God. But in a certain way, it's the same God. There's this God out there, Unitarian, no persons of the Trinity. In Islam, there's really only one basic confession. We have the Apostles' Creed, we have the Nicene Creed, we have other confessions, and that's this one. There is no God but God, sometimes translated, there is no God but Allah. I'll talk about that. And Muhammad is his... Apostle is a better translation than sometimes it's translated Muhammad is his prophet. They do believe he's a prophet. So all you have to do to become a Muslim is say this. You make this confession. This should be the first thing a Muslim child hears when he's born. It should be the last thing a Muslim uh, hears at the end of his life. So this is the confession. There is no God but God, and Muhammad is the Rasul, the apostle of God. This is the Arabic name for it. It's called Shahada, pronounced different ways in English. There is no God but Allah, or is no God but God. Allah is simply the Arabic word for God. It's not a personal name. Just like in Hebrew, the name for God is Elohim. It's the same root. So there is no God but God. He's in some ways like the God of the Bible. He created the world. He knows everything. He's powerful. The Quran calls him merciful and forgiving. We'll talk about what that means. And he is a judge who will put the good people in paradise and the wicked people in hell. So as if you were an Arabic-speaking Christian, could you, call your, could you call the God of the Bible Allah? Yeah, if you were Arabic-speaking, because it's simply the word for God. We in English probably can't call God Allah because it's confusing. It has the connotation of what it means for Muslims. But what is very different about him and the God of the Bible? He doesn't really love sinners, and he does not pay for their sins. There is no payment for sin. It just depends on, in the end, do you have more good? You start in neutral. When your life ends, do you have a plus in your account, in which case you can go to paradise? Do you have a minus? God may give you some extra credit and give you a little more credit than your works are worth. He may not charge you quite the full price. That would be kind of their definition of grace. But like any religion of works, you can never be confident that you are saved until you walk across the bridge over the fire. If it goes poof and drops you in the fire, you're not going to make it. If you make it, uh, you make it. I was involved in a, a kind of debate or discussion with the imam of Appleton up at Oshkosh University. And one of the people asked him, the imam is kind of their equivalent of pastor, although they would say they don't exactly have clergy. At least the Sunni would say that. And one of the, our people in the audience asked him, uh, Mr. Imam, are you confident or sure that you will be in paradise? 
And he said, nobody can ever be sure. And you can't. If it depends on whether at, at, the, at the moment of your death, whether you are plus or minus, now whether being a, uh, being a martyr for Islam would make enough to make you pretty confident, but he said you can never be sure. And that's true of any religion. It's true even of Catholicism, isn't it? I can't tell you for sure whether grandma's in purgatory or she's in heaven because I don't know. And if grandma's in purgatory, the priest can't tell you, well, I think she'll be out in three years or she'll be out in five years because if, if it's up to you to make enough payment to satisfy God, you can never know for sure if your payment is good enough. If Christ has paid for all your sins, then you can know for sure, can't you? But you can't know for sure otherwise. Don't they believe that being a martyr is a direct route to their... Generally, we'll save that for when we talk about terrorism and so on. In other words, the reason a martyr would get you direct there is you, whoosh, you put a whole bunch in your account and you haven't had time to, <coughs> to fritter it all away. So I would say yes, but, that, but God doesn't pay for sin. He doesn't make promises. So there really isn't a gospel. We would say in some ways Islam has the best view of God outside of Scripture, but only the law part of God. Some of the moral principles of Islam are similar to principles of Christianity and Judaism. But it's only a very weak version of what Scripture has already revealed. In other words, yes, God is almighty. God made the world. God is going to judge people. All of that's true and it's scriptural, but it's in the context separated from the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Another way of putting it, how many religions are there in the world? Hundreds. Two or a hundred or? Hundreds. Or one. How many religion can be defined in two ways. Religion can be defined as ways people can get into fellowship with God. That's the base definition. How many religions are there with that definition? Religions are a way people can get into fellowship with God and live with him. Then there's only one. The other way of defining religion is religion is the way people try to get in fellowship with God. Then there's two, the law and the gospel. Now, the religion of the law has a hundred brand names, Buddhism, non-biblical Christianity, Hinduism, but they're all just debating about the price, aren't they? They're all religions where you have to pay an amount. So there's really only two religions, even if you define it as ways in which people attempt to have fellowship with God. One is they attempt to get in fellowship with God through the law, and the other is they can actually get in fellowship through the gospel. And Islam is one of the religions of the law. It wouldn't be that much different than Judaism in that sense. The other thing we have to say about Islam that can also be true of Christianity, in areas where people had some heathen religion, when they become Muslims or Christians, they very often keep Many things from their heathen religion. The big fancy word for that is syncretism, mixing together. So an Orthodox Muslim wouldn't believe in using Allah's name kind of as magic. But many, many Muslims in areas away from Mecca, away from Ruya, they kind of have the 99 names of Allah, and they can use them kind of superstitiously. We would say... That's not missing in Christianity either. In Africa, many Christians will still wear the magic charms. Even in Catholicism, it's not entirely missing. If crossing yourself is a reminder of Christ's death, then it's a good thing, isn't it? It's a reminder, a visible symbol of the reality of the cross. If crossing yourself 
protects you against vampires or is used as a magic thing, then it's not a good thing, is it? It's using it in a, in a superstitious way. So in Islam, as in some times of Christianity, there's the official meaning of the text, but there also then are superstitious uses, many of them that come back from heathenism. So, for example, if you read the name of Allah a thousand times daily, all doubts and uncertainties will be removed from his heart, and instead, determination and faith will become inborn in him, Allah willing. Remember Jesus' word, when you pray, don't be like the heathen who think they'll be heard for their much preaching. And essentially, there wouldn't be a difference between this and saying uh, 50 rosaries are better than 10, would there? But if you see, or in Hinduism, um, 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 you know, they have these mantras, you just keep repeating the magic formula. Islam has that, but it's not part of the official religion, and Christianity and other religions have that also. But Jesus said, when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans. They think they'll be heard for their many words. The Bible is not like a magic charm. You can always hear stories about the house burned down and the Bible didn't burn or something. But the Bible doesn't give us any power when it's sitting on your coffee table, does it? It's when you read it, when you hear it, when you take it to heart and you remember it. It's not like a magic charm that's intended to uh, protect you. Or the sign of the cross is to remind you of Christ. It's not necessary to help you make a free throw or not strike out. And so there are religious superstitions that become attached to all. But what is the big difference? Allah is not a loving father, and he doesn't have a son. That's what makes the essential difference between the religions. Can this Allah save anyone? Well, according to the Bible, no, he can't. Sometimes Christians speak of the three monotheistic religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, they're sort of the same. But remember what Jesus said, especially in John's Gospel. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man can come to the Father except by me. That's what's very offensive to the world, that there is one way of salvation. Or all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. If you don't honor the Son, you can't honor the Father who has sent him. If a king sends you a message with someone and you blow the guy off and tell him to get lost and everything and you don't listen, and the king comes and he's real angry and you say, well, I didn't ignore you, I just ignored your messenger. <clears throat> That's not going to work, is it? You can't go to God the Father on Judgment Day and say, well, I didn't reject you, I just rejected your son. You, you can't have the one thing. If you believe in Christ, you have salvation. If you don't, you don't. That's what Scripture clearly teaches. Allah really isn't bound by any law nor by any promise. In other words, God on Judgment Day, God is almighty and can do whatever he wants, but he, does, he can't lie, he's holy, and he's bound by his word, is he? God on Judgment Day can't come to you and say, I was just fooling, Jesus didn't really pay for all your sins, and now you're going to have to pay for them. He has made a clear, sworn commitment, hasn't he? In a certain sense, Luther once said, we can demand forgiveness of sins. He didn't mean that in an arrogant sense, but what he meant by that is, we have a legal claim on forgiveness of sins. If I go and put a million dollars in the bank in your name, that's yours, isn't it? You can claim that and you can demand that the bank give you your money. <clears throat> it's your money, it belongs to you. And the same thing is true of forgiveness of sins. You have a legal claim on it. It's not an uncertainty. Islam is based kind of on what Allah is, not on what he does for us. They would say he's a creator, he's merciful, but he doesn't really have a gospel. 
They sometimes use the word angel for Jesus' gospels, but only law for those who follow him. In other words, there's no promise that Allah is going to pay for your sins, and certainly no promise that he has paid for all of them. Muslims clearly state that those who worship Jesus are not worshiping the same God as Muslims. Every once in a while, you'll people say, well, these are all the same religions, and even some of our political figures of both parties have said that. And Muslims will sometimes say that too when they want to kind of blend in. The main mosque, as I mentioned around here, the biggest, most central mosque, now they're branching out more, is the one at 13th and Layton, right near the airport in Milwaukee. So I was there once for a program, and the moderator said, uh, the three great monotheistic religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, worship the same God. I raised my hand and said, when I pray to God, I pray to Jesus as God. So you're telling me that you and I are worshiping the same God? And he said, well, no, of course not. (laughs) (laughs) And they said, well, what did you mean then when you said we worship the same God? And he said, well, what I meant is Allah is God. There's only one God out there that created the world. And all people who are trying to worship the one God are trying to, there's only one God out there you could be worshiping. So Jews and Christians are trying to worship him too, but they're not worshiping him in the right way. So I said, in other words, then you, you and I don't believe in the same God. And he said, no, of course not. <laughs> but it was kind of trying to give the impression. And then I also asked him the other question, which I mentioned last week. I asked him, the nation of Islam, are they heretics? and false believers. And he said, I didn't really want to talk about that. (laughs) But he said, since you've asked, I have to say yes, they are heretics. He said, we're trying to get them to be the right kind of real Muslims, but they are not real Muslims. So they do believe that theirs is the only right and true religion. We, of course, do too. They do, we do it on the basis of the Bible. But they believe that theirs is the only right religion. And we'll see some of that when we talk also about the nature of the Quran. They emphatically reject the deity of Christ. Shirk is an Arabic word which means association. The worst sin is to believe in Jesus, to believe that God has an associate. That's the worst sin that you can do. It's called shirk. Now, this one, Muslims sometimes, when you talk about them, when you find out what the Bible really is, and I'll talk about that a little later when we do evangelism, when they start talking about the Trinity, they think, yeah, you Christians believe in a Trinity. You believe in God the Father, his wife Mary, and that together God the Father and his wife Mary had a son, Jesus. And we might kind of laugh and say that's ridiculous, but why would they believe that? It's not all their fault. How do they see Christianity displayed through the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church? So they they see the statues of Mary being carried through the street and everything. And so they think, well, Mary must be God's wife in a kind of physical sort of way, and Jesus is their son. And so they're often actually quite surprised when they find out what the Trinity really is. And also when they find out, they think Christians believe that Jesus was a man who became God. And we say, no, not at all. But God, for our sake and for our, be our Savior, God became man. And we'll talk about that more also when we talk about evangelism. So some of the false impressions they have is because Christians do not give a very clear testimony. 
They think that we see, and all of these, of course, are generalizations. We, they think we see Jesus kind of as a physical son of God or as a man becoming God. They don't understand Jesus was not born through some sort of relationship, but he's eternal God with the Father. Also, that man did not become God, but God became man. When they speak about the Holy Spirit at all, they believe that's the angel Gabriel. They believe that Muhammad received the Quran from Allah through the angel Gabriel. The Arabic names are usually fairly similar to the English ones. They usually call him Jabril. Jabril, but you recognize that's Gabriel. Jabril. So if they believe in the Holy Spirit at all, he's kind of just a spirit of God, not a person, and he's identified with Jabril. Well, Muhammad was supposed to receive his revelation over 20-some years, and he went to a cave to write all these things down from Gabriel? He didn't write them down. He just recited them. Yeah. Okay. Where do you think he really got his That's the next, after this okay. slide. All right. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're going to be there very shortly. So this is all important. Anytime when you're talking about a Muslim, they understand that the issue is what do you think of Jesus. When I had this debate with Dr. Badawi down at the mosque, I, re I loved the topic because they said, will you come and debate against our Muslim debater on what do we think of Jesus? That's what we want to talk about, don't we? We don't want to talk about Muhammad. Why? Well, you can say all kinds of things about his wife and his wives and his behavior, all that's going to do is make people mad. The only thing that has any power really to, to break through is to talk about Jesus and, and what he did. And so I'll give you some sample sheets of how to do that a little later. But no matter what the topic is, you always have to get it to Jesus. I briefly told you last time about when I got thrown out of the mosque. And the reason I got thrown out of the mosque was people were getting too interested in talking about Jesus. When there was this debate, I got to go first. And what they were used to is when the Jesuits and other pe people would come in and say, Jesus is a nice prophet, Muhammad is a nice prophet, Islam is a nice religion, Christianity is a nice religion, I like them all. And I told you last week, they said, what we want is a confrontation, and we were told if you come, there's going to be one. <laughs> but they said we want it to be civil. And so they were, their, their program was all laid out. They were going to say, we honor Jesus as the second greatest prophet, we really honor Jesus like you Christians do. I got to go first, and I very strongly emphasize why we believe Jesus is the Son of God, and he's true God, and he's our Savior. So Dr. Badawi was put in the position, he had to kind of tear up his script and go attacking Jesus. Whenever possible in these circumstances, and it is always possible, you always want to try to occupy the positive ground, don't you? Things wrong with Islam, let the Muslims figure that out for themselves. You don't, for an outsider to come in and be attacking them just makes them mad and defensive, doesn't it? You have to present something positive that they will recognize is better than what they have. And so no matter what the subject is, always get the talk to Jesus. I was there at the mosque once and they were talking about charity. And I talked, well, we Christians do charity too. But we do charity not to earn favor with God, but because we love God, because he has paid for all our sins through Christ. So you always want to get the topic. They want to talk about Jesus as a prophet. When people start getting interested in Jesus as a savior, then that's when they're not so interested in the discussion continuing, because that's really a threat to them. God's love is a great threat and a great danger, isn't it? What did they say about the Apostle Paul? This is the guy that's causing trouble all over the world. Was he guilty? Yes. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. God's word is a threat to the ways of the world, isn't it? And when it comes, it, it, it's frightening and it opposes them, and it's a danger to their system. It was very refreshing for in many ways to work with them because they recognize, and I'm talking here spiritually, that you are their enemy and they are yours. I met them sometime after this. I met one of the men, and he didn't recognize me, right? And I said I was the man that had the debate with Dr. Badawi. He said, oh, yeah, so nice to see you, our enemy. <laughs> our bad enemy, nice to see you. How are you doing, our bad enemy? So when they are front with it, they will recognize that. And at, at that debate, there were, sometimes people ask me, why did you go to debate Muslims? Or why did you go to the mosque? Why would I go to the mosque? That's where the Muslims are. <laughs> Where can you talk to 400 Muslims about faith in Christ? If you invite them to come to your church and hear about Jesus, most of them aren't going to come. If you go to their place, they will. And so I was trying to put the focus on Jesus. And I was there at the breaking of the fast. And sometimes after the presentation, people would come up to me and they said, you know, I never heard anything like that before. You think God is a father who loves me? And I said, yes. And they said, I need to hear more about that. They said, I've never heard anything like that in my life. And even when you preach about justification or talk about justification in, in like an Eastern Orthodox country or something, after class, people sometimes come to you and say, I've never heard such a thing as this. Some of the other things that we talk about, like fellowship and so on, when I present them to people from completely outside of our system, it helps us understand and sympathize with these people. They kind of laughed when I got done, but it was a friendly laugh. And they said, surely you understand that for us, you're like a man from Mars. You're from a world that we know nothing about. And you're saying things that we have never heard. Wow. And that's the power of the gospel, isn't it? We have to trust that the gospel can do its work. So there was kind of a discussion there, and there was an African-American young man there who was kind of interested in Islam, and he always called me brother, and, and we were talking about something, and, and, and he, he interrupted and was kind of going back and forth, and he said, just a minute, he said, he said to me, if I understand the brother right, what the brother's saying to us is that the all-important thing is what do we think about Jesus? And I said, that's right, Wally. That's exactly I correct. Interrupt, but yeah. The other night I read, sometimes you may be the only Bible that people will have. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, and, 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 and then it was kind of the breaking the fast, and, and the, there were a group of young men around us, and they started chanting, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. And they said it was because it was sunset, but I think they were getting threatened because Wally was getting dangerously close to wanting to hear about Jesus. And that was the day when I was leaving the... See, I was taken by Pakistani doctors. I knew they couldn't kick me out real easily because the imam was like 35 and the guys that were taking me to the mosque were like 70 and they were big financial supporters. They were, in fact, supporting the feast. And so when, they, when these Pakistani doctors said, we'd like our guests to address us, you could see the imam grip his, grit his teeth, but in their culture, he couldn't say no publicly. So he was kind of over the barrel. And so after that, that was the night when they were starting to get very interested in Jesus. The imam told me, 
when we want to see you around here again, you'll get an invitation. <laughs> and I've been checking my mailbox. <laughs> Jesus is dangerous, isn't he? The gospel is dangerous because it's the only thing that can really overpower the evil things in the world. And so people who want to discuss things, when people start getting too interested in Jesus as somebody who loves him and as my Savior, you are a threat. You're a danger. And um, Paul was guilty. Wherever the gospel confronts a heathen religion, it creates two different worldviews, doesn't it? And that they aren't uh, compatible with each other. They believe Jesus did miracles, but they believe all prophets did that. That doesn't make him the son of God. They believe Jesus has a special role. This is interesting. This is another thing to talk to Muslims about. Jesus, whom they call Issa, I-S-A, is actually mentioned in the Quran more than Muhammad. So the, the, the impression of the picture of Jesus in the Quran is not a correct one, but it's a good starting place. Say, let's talk about Jesus. We'll talk about Jesus, what the Quran says about Jesus, and then we'll talk about what the Bible says. Or, you know, I know the, your Quran says a lot about Jesus. Would you, would you like to read my Gospel of Matthew? It talks about Jesus, too. So that's a, a place you can start. They believe Jesus is going to kill all the pigs. They, of course, don't believe you can't eat pork. Where'd they get that? Jewish. Jewish, yeah. Islam is really a form of Judaism taken further along. That would really make them mad if they said that. Jesus was a prophet of Islam. Jesus will get married and he'll be buried with Muhammad. He has a role in the final judgment. But what they emphatically reject is the one thing important, Jesus' crucifixion. <clears throat> surah, whenever you see surah there, that means the statement is from the Quran. That's the name for a chapter in the Quran. Because the Jews say, we slew the Messiah, Jesus' son of Mary, Allah's messenger. They slew him not or crucified him not. It appeared so. Jesus didn't actually die. Two prophets don't die like that. Those who disagree concerning it are in doubt thereof. They have no knowledge save the pursuit of a conjecture. They slew him not for certain. <clears throat> a lot of the Quran translations are a little bit King James-ese. They have different theories about this. Judas was crucified in this place. One story, one Muslim story, I call it a myth, I guess, is that God made Judas' face look like Jesus, and they crucified Judas by mistake, serves them right. Another is that Simon Cyrene was crucified for him, or that Jesus recovered and went to India. But what they say is, Jesus was not God's son, and he did not die for sin. Muslims also believe in the virgin birth, but that's kind of sad too. They believe Jesus was born of a virgin. Why? Because Jesus was the prophet for Jews. And Jews are such bad people that they need an especially great sign. And so the virgin birth was a sign, not, not that the Jesus is God's son, but it was a sign for the Jews that they should follow this prophet. They are well prepared for polemics, often relying on Christian negative critics. This is where I got kind of at a sticking point with Dr. Badawi. He was, when they want to disparage the Bible, they'll just take all the Christian sources that disparage the Bible. In many ways, when you're dealing with people from other religions, who are your greatest obstacle, and I can call them enemies in as far as effect, it's the Christians who do not believe the Bible because they are the ones that undermine and undercut you. And that's true sometimes when you're working with Jews also. And so Dr. Badawi would always try to, including like liberal Lutherans, they would quote Christian critics and say, well, the Gospels really weren't written until many years later and they really don't tell about Jesus. 
And Muslims would say, well, yes, we believe in the gospel of Jesus, but the ones you have in your book, that's not Jesus. Jesus' gospel was Islamic. But you guys have corrupted it. Moses' message was Islamic, but you guys have uh, corrupted it. So they often use them as their, uh, their evidence and their starting point. And this would be true also in dealing with uh, Jewish people. The gospel has great power if it will simply work. Even the virgin birth, you know, is attacked by many Christians. When I was studying, I was studying with a Jewish professor in Minneapolis. He was very good to me and helped me a lot. But he, he asked me, I, he, he said, well, I came into class one day and we were translating Ezekiel, which is kind of a nightmare, but it's another story. And he said, before we start talking about Ezekiel today, I want to ask you about something. He said, I want to talk to you about Isaiah 7:14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He said, I already know what you're going to tell me. <laughs> You're going to tell me you believe that's Jesus. He said, my problem is, I don't know who else it could be. So the passages, they stand by themselves, are compelling and powerful, and they grab people. I was going to summer school at uh, Yale one summer on a, thank you for your tax dollars, I was doing it on your dime, I got a government grant (laughs) to do it, so appreciate your help. And I was the token white male fundamentalist in the group of 12. And there was an extremely liberal Jewish feminist lady. And one of the rules was we were always supposed to eat lunch together. And she said, let's talk about Isaiah 53, you know, the great picture of Christ's passion in the Old Testament. You know, like led his lamb to the slaughter and so on. All our iniquities were laid upon him. And she said, I want to talk to you about Isaiah 53. And she said the same thing. When you read it, it's pretty obvious. She said, I know what you're going to tell me. You're going to tell me you think it's Jesus, and I can't find another solution. So she tell me, tell me why you think it's Jesus. Well, the liberal, I'll just, well, use a name, I'll call him the liberal, white, liberal doofus. He immediately jumped in and said, oh, no, we Christians don't believe that that's about Jesus anymore. So very often, when you're using the Bible and letting it speak, the greatest obstacle and the greatest roadblock you face is the Christians who who denigrate the Bible. Because it it has its power, but they speak against it. Often they'll do this on the basis of reason. Three and one isn't possible, although they don't really understand what that means. And in, in the Quran, the Quran, Jesus is there very often, but Jesus is only a prophet, second greatest. They sometimes twist the Bible. They, they admit, well, yeah, Jesus was sinless, but they believe all the real prophets were sinless. Jesus did miracles, but so did other prophets. Jesus was only for Israel. Muhammad is for the whole world. Jesus did not claim deity. He said the Father was greater than he. That's the difference in Jesus' humiliation and exaltation, isn't it? But again, there's many places in the Bible where Jesus claims deity. So how do they justify this? Jesus never claimed deity. The Jesus in your Bible is not the real Jesus. Some years ago, there was a Christian group called the Jesus Seminar where they went through and voted on all the things in the Gospels and said, well, Jesus probably said this one. Eh, could have said this one. No, nah, he didn't say that one. And he definitely didn't say that one. And so they will, take, they will do the same thing with the Bible that a liberal Christian would do. And so all of these claims, we would say, Jesus was not to be revealed to the world till after his ascension. 
till Pentecost. And so they love things like the Jesus Seminar, and now there's going to be an old movie, The Da Vinci Code. In other words, that say, well, Christianity and the creeds and that, Christians didn't originally believe that. That stuff was all made up later, the, the later church. And the Christian scholars say the Bible isn't true. And that's why you have to say with them, I'm going to define Christianity as what the Bible says, and I'll define Islam as what the Quran says. And we've got an apples-to-apples comparison. A thing you should always do, and I'll give you a script of this when we come to the evangelism section. The best way to talk to them is start out talking about Scripture. We know who Jesus is because the Bible. Let's compare the Bible and the Quran. That's a common ground to start on. How do we know who Jesus is? The Bible tells us. Why do we need to know? Until they understand what sin is, until they understand that they are sinners, talking about a Savior doesn't mean anything if you don't think you're a sinner, does it? Or if you think you can do it all on your own. So you have to use common things like, did you always obey your parents? Did you fight with your brothers and sisters? Do you hate people? And you have to show them that they are sinners. Then when that is done, and we'll do this in much more detail, then you can tell them, the reason God had to become a man is none of you could ever pay for sin yourself. And so Jesus' story is not a story of how a man worked his way up to being God. It's how God became a man so he could be our substitute and God became man. And in the evangelism section, I'll give you a presentation of that. I'll just mention the name thing. Sometimes all these spellings are confusing. The Arabic alphabet, like the Chinese, you know, it used to be Peking and now it's Beijing. The alphabets don't exactly match. And so when you're trying to put it into English letters, some people end up using a Q and some people end up using a K at the same spot. And so you'll have all of these different uh, varieties of spellings, but usually they're pretty recognizable. <clears throat> okay, then we want to talk about Muhammad and the Quran. I'll just stop here a second on the section about justification, faith, <clears throat> which is the most important difference. That's the true with us in any religion. If you're talking to traditional Roman Catholics, it doesn't make a lot of sense or doesn't very profitable to argue a lot about purgatory and all of those sort of things, does it? Because if they believe that Jesus paid for all their sins, what's going to happen to all those other beliefs? They evaporate, don't they? They evaporate and they're gone. Same way with a Muslim. It doesn't pay to argue about Muhammad and all kinds of other things. Focus on what the important issue is. If they come to believe through the gospel that Jesus is their savior from sin, then all of these other things are going to take care of themselves, aren't they? It doesn't mean you can re can't ever talk about those things. So the real problem with Muhammad is finding the real Muhammad. They would say, well, you can't find the real Jesus. But most of the biographies of Muhammad that we have, they're all Muslim, for one thing. So they can't accuse Christians of making them up or fabricating them. But they're all from a couple hundred years later. And you have all of these traditions, and some of them are contradictory. So there's personal devotion. There's kind of a mystic attraction to Muhammad. They would certainly say he's not God. And this is a very explosive topic. Anything derogatory toward Muhammad, we'll talk later about the pictures and the cartoons and stuff, is very threatening because they're dependent on, Muhammad didn't write the, bio, the Quran down. It was written down later, supposedly from memory. And so they claim that they have the authority of Quran. Anything that reflects on Muhammad, you remember who Rushdie was? He goes back more than 10 years now. He, and was he a derogatory, insulting uh, Muslim? Yes. He intended to insult Muhammad. So he wrote this fictional book, but it's very clear that the unsavory character in the novel is Muhammad, and the ladies are his wives. And that's, of course, what put him under 
a death sentence. Because if you take away the fact that they have a real authentic Quran, then there's not much of anything left. Was Muhammad kind of a mystic or what? You mentioned he went out and sat in caves and had these visions. <clears throat> His wife Khadija was an older lady. She was a widow and she, he worked for her. He was a caravan manager for her. So he was fairly independently wealthy. During Khadija's lifetime, he never had any other wives. She was his only wife, and she was one of his first followers. And he once said to Khadija, at times I don't know whether I am possessed by Satan. And see, remember what Rushdie's book was called? It was called the Satanic Verses. Because Muhammad himself said there were certain verses in the Quran that were put there by Satan. Iblis, he's called. And you see what you can see why they'd get really, really upset about that. If it's true that some verses in the Quran, and if Muhammad is the one who said that some verses in the Quran were satanic, kind of their whole foundation is blown up, isn't it? And the alleged satanic verses, Muhammad was for tolerance when he was in the minority. And then the satanic verses that were in the Quran but that aren't there now, and all of this comes from Muslim sources. It's not, you know, Christian polemics or anything. Muhammad allowed the, the people of Mecca to continue to worship goddesses. And if he did that for, com, for, for compromise, and if this was ever in the Quran, which I said is only satanic verses, then you can't say too much. So, woe is me, woe is me, am I a poet or possessed? And Kaditya told him, no, no, you're not really possessed. Is it possible he was possessed? His religion is directly contrary to the gospel. And one of our professors who've been dead almost a generation now, Professor Becker, I was talking to him about Islam once, and, and Muhammad said, at times I think I might be possessed by Satan. And Professor Becker said maybe that was one of his better theological observations. Days. Yeah, but we could say it is directly contrary to the gospel. So he got these visions, but none of them were written around. Just his story, 600 is a good round number. 620, 630s is the Ralph Islam. He was an orphan. He married the wealthy widow Khadija, 15 years older. He had no sons who reached uh, full age. And so Muslims who claim descent from Muhammad, like the Shiite leaders, they do it through his daughter, Fatima. Worked as a caravanner, had time for leisure to go out and do his vision. So he received the Quran over, as you said, about a 20-year period. He preached monotheism. He overthrew idolatry. He was persecuted at first, and he firstly thought the Jews would follow him, but he got upset when they didn't. And he then eventually, by the end of his lifetime, he had gained control of Arabia through a series of battles and wars. Ali was his future son-in-law, and he had other ones who became the converts. The division between Shiites and Sunnis, which is so bitter in Islam, is a battle over who should follow Muhammad. The Sunnis say, through his friends and associates, kind of like his apostles, that's where the leader should come. The Shiites say they should come through his descendants, through those who are grandsons of him. But the grandsons of Muhammad were massacred and the Sunnis won. And now the Shiites are in the minority. He had his famous flight. He had to leave Mecca because he was persecuted. He was for tolerance then. Some of his followers fled to the Christian country of Ethiopia. Eventually, he won the war, and by his death, they had conquered Arabia. In the next generation, they went out and conquered North Africa and so on. There are many things that could be criticized about Muhammad. 
He had 9 to 15 wives. Now, why is it 9 to 15? Depends on what your definition of wife is and what sort of status. He was monogamous during Khadija's life. Many of the marriages, like a lot of marriages at the time, had political overtones. He married, one of the wives he married was the wife of his adopted son. What was the rule for Islam? Up to, if you're really a really good husband, up to four wives. But when Muhammad got wet, wife number five, what happened? He got a new, new revelation of Allah, the prophet is the exception. The prophet is the exception. So they would claim that these marriages were for their good. He was married to Aisha, who becomes part of the intrigues later when, he was, when she was only six. All of this is from Muslim sources, and they began their married life when she was nine. Ayatollah Khomeini, he began life with his wife when she was 13. So he was 50, 53 and she was nine. So how much of this was political? He married uh, a captive woman. She met, married him to, trans, to ransom her people. And she, he married a captive Jew after he had executed her husband. I'm helping poor widows. Well, she was a poor widow, but you executed her husband. All of these things are from Islamic sources. There are no Christian sources about this. So all of this you could say about Muhammad, it would all be true, but is it going to do you any good? <laughs> You know, there may be a Muslim who has been looking around and he's said, I'm really shocked at some of the stuff I'm finding. But you should focus positively on what Christ did. There can be a lot of bad things that you could say about him. His wars, massacres, his many marriages. But we would say we want to concentrate on one thing, his doctrine, which is very, which is very different. There's, this is a famous French philosopher, and he said it's not the unclear things in the Quran that bother me. He said, it's what's clear. It very clearly says God does not have a son. It very clearly says God does not pay for your sins. And he says, that's what we should focus on. Let other people draw the conclusions about their religion. He claims he's a descendant of Abraham through Ishmael. Some Arabs probably are, some Ishmaelites, or Ishmaelites became Arabs, but not Arabs or Ishmaelites. They claim that Islam is the fulfillment of the prophecy to Ishmael. So Isaac was for the Jews, Ishmael. They claim that Ishmael is mentioned in the Bible. Famous prophecy, you all probably said at Christmas Eve sometime. God will raise up a prophet from your brothers. They said, see, we told you. Muhammad's in the Bible. Well, when Moses said God is going to send a prophet from your brothers, he meant he will come from Israel, didn't he? Yeah. They said, oh, no, no, no. Ishmael, the Ishmaelites are the brothers of the Jews. And so the real prophet Muhammad has to come uh, from Ishmaelites. And they'll mention that was in the Bible. Almost any passage in the Bible that talks about camels or Arabia, they will say it belongs to Muhammad. The sword of Muhammad, it's interesting they would choose that one. The sword of judgment belongs to Muhammad. And sometimes they'll say the counselor. God told Jesus, I will send another counselor. And he said he was really talking about Muhammad. So at times they try to find Muhammad in the Bible. What should we do? Don't Emphasize a positive presentation of who Jesus is. Example, if I was ever invited, I don't expect to be invited back, but if I ever was invited back to debate who is Muhammad, I would reluctantly accept, but I really wouldn't talk about Muhammad. I'd say, I can't put Muhammad as the number one prophet because I believe Jesus is the son of God and he already, and he's the number one prophet. 
and he completed God's plan. That's why I can't accept. So it wouldn't do any good probably. Just make everybody really angry if you just talk about Muhammad's wives and other things. So even if they wanted to talk about Muhammad, I'd say, I can, you can only understand how I feel about Muhammad if you know what I feel about Jesus. We can't make Muhammad the ultimate prophet because Jesus is already there. Hebrews 1 tells us that. All human prophets were sinners, and we need to make sure they understand that they are sinners too and that they need the gospel. Jesus is mentioned in the Quran more than Muhammad. Not very accurately, but that gives you a starting point to talk about. We believe Jesus is, the, is God who became man for our salvation. They would make no such claims about Muhammad. That's one of the reasons why the nation of Islam are considered heretics by them. They make Elijah Muhammad and others too high of a status, too much like God. They admit he was a sinner in the sense that everybody is. Jesus was peaceful. Muhammad was a warrior. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not going to use violence to establish my kingdom. Muhammad was a warrior and had earthly kingdom. There was no separation between the religious and the state. They both died. The critical difference, of course, is <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead. If you believe that, that's the heart of the gospel. And Muhammad remained dead. And so in Jesus, we have a living savior or a lawgiver who has died. That's really... That's really where the contrast has to be, isn't it? It's not contrasting marriages and those different sorts of things. God sacrificed his son so we may gain paradise. Muslims are to sacrifice their sons to gain paradise. Quran, Islam was the original religion from the time of Adam. So they'd say all the, original, all the Old Testament books were originally Islamic. There's at least 28 prophets but Muhammad is the only universal one. Some of the prophets they have are people named in the Old Testament. Many of them are people, names you'd never heard about. They believe, yes, the Law of Moses, the Psalms of David, and the Gospel of Jesus were inspired scriptures, but not the books that you have in your Bible. They say, we believe the Law of Moses. So you believe Genesis to Deuteronomy. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what Moses wrote. That's the Jewish corruption. You believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, no, no, no. That's not what I mean when we believe the gospel. So they believe the Quran was given, especially on these nights of power, which is when the Ramadan feast is. They claim it was given through Gabriel, Jabril. Muhammad was simply to receive it. It was never written down until after his lifetime. And yet they claim that the text has no errors. We would say in the Bible text, there's typos in the Bible text, aren't there? Inspiration wasn't the guy copying it. And there can be typos in our Bible. But they say the Quran has only one text. The rhyming, jingling, Arabic, most Muslims would admit there's about 25% of the Quran that cannot be understood. It's kind of like, some of it is kind of like, it's kind of giving impression uh, some modern music. You know, people like it, but they don't know what the words are and it doesn't make full sense. But it's the effect, kind of the hypnotic effect on it, so we have to focus on it. Highly revered by Muslims. And the Quran, they would say, yes, we'll let you have a translation to read it, but there can be no translation, only the Arabic Quran. All the prayers have to be in Arabic. Some were written at Mecca and some at Medina, and this will be very important later, because some of the surahs talk about tolerance. Some of the surahs talk about suppression. And the ones that talk about tolerance was when Muhammad was being persecuted. The ones when he was in charge, 
And this will be a big issue among Muslims. The principle is that the later things in the Quran supplant the earlier ones. If that's true, then the sword passages have more authority than the other ones. But that's a different issue for a different day. It's, it's kind of a jumble. They're arranged kind of by order of the chapter, so it's not in order. It, it kind of goes all over. Uh, if you want to, the best way, if you want to understand the difference between the Quran and the Bible, there's some hard things in the Bible, but read the Bible and then read the Quran. And you'll see that there, there's a light world of difference between them. It does call for belief in one God, no partners with him. God's authority is absolute. Man is accountable to him, and we are going to die and go to heaven or hell. So it has the law part. Follow the right way. Don't follow any idols. You can see again, too, all the statues they saw at the Catholic Church in that were very offensive and colors their picture. Polemics against the enemies of Muhammad. <coughs> Community has to stick together. <laughs> There should be one Islamic community that rules the world. This is not necessarily my judgment, but repetition, boring. 20% or so, you can't figure it out. It does use apocryphal and Jewish sources. It does not appear that Muhammad was aware of any Arabic New Testament. So he had no New Testament, but he was... Yeah, yeah. Jesus and the clay birds. That There's apocryphal gospels that... Like Jesus... When he was a little boy, he used his miracle powers to make little live clay birds, or he put curses on the bad kids in the neighborhood and stuff like that. Uh, so we'll talk, there's a lot of confusion in the Quran that is based on Christian myths. Contradicts the Bible, sex in heaven. The Bible says we won't be married in heaven. Uh, Ezra and his donkey raised from the dead. Sun sets in the middle of a muddy spring. So there are many things about this. They have garbled views of biblical events. They believe that Abraham was going to sacrifice Ishmael, not Isaac. Miriam and Mary are the same name. One is Hebrew and one is Greek. They're confused and they think that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was the sister of Moses. They both were named Miriam, but they didn't understand that they're 1,400 years apart. Haman, who lived in about 400, works for Pharaoh in 1400. So they knew some of these biblical names, but it's very confused. The Tower of Babel is built in Egypt. Garbled creation. Jesus was not crucified. And of course, the main thing, <coughs> Satan's fall was not rebelling against God. God made man. He told Satan, Satan had to worship man. Satan said, can't do it. <clears throat> and this will be crucial later. Abrogation. Is it true that the later something comes in the Quran, the more authoritative it is. Originally, Muhammad prayed toward Jerusalem. When the Jews rejected him, he changed and prayed toward <laughs> Mecca. And so the Mecca rule replaces the Jerusalem rule. If the peace passages in the Quran come early and the sword passages come later, then the sword passages would be more authoritative. Not all Muslims, of course, agree with that. I talked a little bit about the so-called satanic verses already, which come only from Islam's tradition. But the satanic verses were, he said, Satan sometimes tries to stick stuff into the Quran, but God gets it out later. So Muhammad took some verses out of the Quran because they were satanic. Rushdie knew this, and what he said was true, but it wasn't good for his health. I won't read all of this, it's kind of King James' ease, but basically the gist of it is, 
He tells them, for the sake of political compromise, he tells the Meccans that they can continue to worship some of the goddesses along with Allah, that he compromised on the idolatry. And that if, if that is true, of course, then it completely undercuts the Quran. No real prophecies. There's not true that there was one perfect text. Once the Islamic Empire got started, they found out there were all kinds of different Qurans. And so the Caliph or Caliph made one authorized Quran. There were other manuscripts that existed, but they've been largely destroyed. <laughs> Guy found an older manuscript of a different Quran in Cairo and library, and the next time he went back, it wasn't there anymore. <clears throat> and so they would say that there is only one perfect Quran, but there are variants, and it's probably close enough. The fatal flaw of the Quran, no savior, no way of salvation. And that's what we need to focus on. I think I'll save the traditions for as the introduction to the practices next time. This is another place there, like Judaism and the Pharisees. The Pharisees have the Old Testament and they have the Talmud. Muslims have the Quran and they have the Hadith, which is their name for tradition. So for them, as for Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, tradition has authority like their Bible, the Quran. And so we'll pick up we'll pick up there and we'll talk about practices next time. But I'll stop here for questions, a few questions. So next time what we'll be doing, there's so-called five pillars of Islam. The practices, the confession, the fast, and everything. So we'll be talking about tradition and we'll be talking about the five pillars next week. Is what? Epileptic? Well, that's, some people say that that's what his, these visions and seizures were really, they were really seizures. Muslims would say not. But he had these, he had the kind of visions maybe, they're more, more like epilepsy, they're more like experience people have when they're like on hallucinogenic drugs or something like that. And so that's usually a conjecture more from the fact that he had these states of visions. But usually, my understanding is people that have epilepsy is more like they're kind of like out. Is that right? Get very rigid. Yeah, it's not. It's not like you're seeing visions and stuff. No, no, they got to put things in their mouth so they don't bite their tongue. Yeah. 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 And he would he would say the Quran is something different than that. And he. he yeah. But the Quran is that he's seeing and he's hearing Jabril tell him these words. So it's more like a vision. But it's very similar to, there's no evidence, I think, that he was on drugs or anything. That's why I'd say, I mean, we believe Satan is real and we can't rule out that he's receiving these visions from Satan. All the visions in the heathen religions, they aren't just all fake, are they? So I don't think his epilepsy, if he had regular physical, mental uh, medical seizures, they don't explain the Quran. Who, who wrote down his visions then? Later his on? disciples, apparently, supposedly. And they were on palm leaves and here and there, and that's why there were a lot of different Qurans. But the official Quran was made, we'll talk about Uthman later, that once they had the Islamic Empire, they, they were scattered and they found they had these different Qurans, so they collected them all and made one official one. So How the, many years later was it happened? 50. 50 years? Black Muslims and the regular Muslims. You said they are not the 
Yeah, yeah. The Nation of Islam is kind of a cult, a little bit, a little bit like Jehovah's Witnesses and a little bit like Shriners. In other words, Elijah Muhammad and others, they, they, they acknowledge that they have, were anti-white. And most, a lot of the athletes like Muhammad and Ali and others that were called Muslim, they were Nation of Islam. And then Nation of Islam, if there's names like Claire Muhammad or Elijah Muhammad or Wallace Muhammad, the, 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 their son now is becoming more regular Muslim. Malcolm X was moving from the Nation of Islam to regular Islam. Many people believe that was underlying factor in his murder, that he was leaving this. So Louis Farrakhan is kind of the most famous name now of the, the Nation of Islam type thing. But the Orthodox Muslims do put money and stuff into the Nation of Islam because they feel this is a good entry into the African-American community, and we've got a starting point with them. But like when I asked them, they would say, no, the Nation of Islam obviously is not genuine because Elijah Muhammad and others were claiming that they are sort of successors of Muhammad and even of Allah. So they're, they're more a cult that has Islamic trappings. There's this Shriner Lodge. It's not real big anymore, but in Milwaukee. You know, they have like, they wear the fezes and they have Islamic trappings, but they're not Islamic. This is just part of the mystique or whatever. And that's, that's what the Nation of Islam is. Like in Milwaukee, I think their main center is called the Claire Muhammad Center. And they were, they were always kind of in trouble with the American government. Elijah Muhammad did the same thing in World War II that they encouraged Muhammad Ali to do later. We shouldn't be fighting the white man's wars. And so in World War II, Elijah Muhammad was the same kind of attitude toward the draft anything, regardless of what you know, the wars are. So it, it's, a, it's a group that originated mostly in the Detroit, Michigan area, was kind of the starting point, I think, for most of it, like in the 1930s and 1940s. And it's been kind of fragmented now, and Louis Farrakhan is the most notable leader of the, the, what we call the original one. And ironically, some of Elijah Muhammad's family no longer follows it. I'll take one more question, and then I'll stay up here. I don't have to be over the service, and some of you get, get going, you can get going, but I'll stay up here for 10 or 15 minutes. But one more question from the floor. Yeah, well, well, we'll talk about those issues and percentages and that in about three weeks. And, of course, those are more political questions. And what I want to do here, I want to keep the Bible questions where you can say this is what the Bible says on one level and political issues and stuff like that has to be a different level, doesn't it? They can't be put as if they're the same thing. So, yeah, there's a danger. Uh, it, it's, and it's a big question on Islam. It's the whole question of immigration, of legal Ill, illegal immigration beside of that. So we'll touch on that a little bit, but... We'll deal with the spiritual part first and then the political part. Next week, we'll still be on the spiritual part, and then the two weeks after that, we'll start getting into the contemporary issues. Is it the point? Yeah. 
So what's more, what's more serious, God is carved out a physical father who has physical sons. But they, he's not a father for them because he doesn't love us and he doesn't forgive our sins. That's where really the focus should be. No, it's, 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 Allah is simply the Arabic word for God. Just like the Hebrew word for God, you can make a feminine out of it and it can be God or goddess. So it's, it's just the generic word for God. Okay, uh, well, okay, one last one. One wanted to get a Quran to study it. Is there one accepted version? No, but there are versions that are more King James E's, which are harder to read, and there's popular ones. If you go down to the mosque here, they'll probably give you one for free, paperback. Or I'm sure if you go online on the Internet and say, send me a free Quran, that they would be happy to do it. But some of them are more, since they can't be official anyway, some of them are more easy to read, and some are more like very literal translations. Okay, I'll, I'll close with the prayer, but I'll stay up here if you have a question you want to ask and you don't want to keep it for a couple weeks. But next week, we'll be talking about tradition and practices, and then the week after that, we'll start getting to the, I'll call them the contemporary issues. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of the gospel, that you are a loving God, and through your Son, Jesus Christ, you send him into the world to become a human like us and to complete the payment for our sins. Help us share this good news with the gospel, with ourselves and with our families and friends, and also with those who need desperately to hear the gospel, also among those who oppose the gospel, such as in Islam. Let us use your word so that the word will work by its power. Amen. Okay, next week, tradition and practice. Thanks for listening to Green Pastures with Jesus, the audio home of Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church of Fairmont, Minnesota. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our website, www.shepherdofthelakes.net. Pass that along to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archive section at our website for previous podcasts. You can find us 9.30 a.m. Sunday mornings at 323 East 1st Street in Fairmont, just up the hill from Richard's Towing. Any questions, contact me, Pastor Hagen, 507-236-9572. God bless your day. God bless beyond compare.